Welcome to SBC This Week. I'm Brandon Porter. Laura Erlinson is here with me. And Laura, thanks for joining me on what has been a busy week. It has been. Yeah, somebody was joking yesterday with me at the office. There, I was just standing around talking to someone and he goes, oh, what is it, a slow news day? I said, I don't even know what that is. Yeah, <laughs> we haven't absolutely. had one of those in a while. <laughs> no. Uh, and every time I say that, I feel like we said that on the last I know. podcast, on the last podcast, on the last podcast. So, um, but it is, it's just busy. And I think, I think that's true for lots of folks, not just for us at Baptist Press or at the SBC, but folks in their churches and their homes. I know our family, we are in, uh, there's just something almost every night, it seems like, you know, with uh, school and extracurricular activities and um things involving church. So anyway, it's just a busy time. Yep. It's gearing up for sure. Yeah. Well, so Laura, for those who have been joining us uh, regularly, one thing we've learned this week is that you are going to be stuck with us for a little bit longer. That's right. Coy and Vance are here <laughs> yeah. to serve. That's right. <laughs> to drive the General Lee. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So uh, so that leads us, I guess, into our first story. Um, and what we're talking about is uh, we were anticipating uh, potential for a transition around the corner, which would bring Jonathan Howe and Amy Whitfield back to this podcast. That is theirs, that they started many years ago, 400-something mm -hmm. episodes ago. Wow. Um, yes, um, but that we have been babysitting since mid-August. That's right. Um, and uh, we were expecting a transition in the works, but it looks like we're going to be waiting on that just a little bit. And so that segues us, uh, Laura, into our very first story. That's right. Uh, so we learned uh, earlier this week, the search team that had announced earlier in January that they had selected a candidate that they would present to the executive committee in February, that that candidate had withdrawn his name. They had uh, kept that name confidential, although there had been some online buzz about who it might be, but the mm -hmm. search team had not announced that and it had not been, you know, confirmed anywhere. And so, uh, but then the next day, the candidate who uh, we found out was Thomas Hammond, who's the executive director of the Georgia Baptist Mission Board. Um, he had been the candidate and he mm -hmm. sent an email to his executive leadership there in Georgia, uh, his uh, team of pastors there, his executive board, um, letting them know that he had been the candidate. And I think just to let them know that, hey, if you've gotten wind of this, you need to know that I, the Lord has made it clear to me that I am supposed to stay in Georgia. Mm -hmm. And so that's what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely a surprise. It it, it makes a shift for the um agenda for the upcoming EC oh, meeting in February. a major shift, yeah, because that was going to be a huge part of the schedule. Yeah, yeah, and obviously a big shift for the folks who are serving on that presidential search committee for the EC mm -hmm. um, as well. So Yeah, they thought they were almost done. Yeah, that's right. And they're so, not. yeah, so we definitely want to um, encourage folks to continue to pray for them. Uh, Neil Hughes asked about that. He asks Southern Baptists to join them in praying uh, for that that search team um, that he is leading. And um, and we, we would ask you as well to come alongside and to continue to lift them up as they mm -hmm. move forward in their work. Um, Laura, also uh, something that we've talked about previously in 2024 was uh, Paul Pressler and the case surrounding uh, him and uh, other folks um, out of Texas. And uh, there, there's been some more news in that front to develop over this last week. Yeah, there was the revelation of an email that um, I don't know who maybe had seen it before. I hadn't seen it before. 
but it was an email sent in April of 2021 from then SBC attorney James Gunther, who was longtime uh, counsel for the SBC and the SBC Executive Committee. And it was sent to uh, a vice president at the Executive Committee, uh, sort of laying out the rationale for the way um, th- that our attorneys, the SBC attorneys, were choosing to <clears throat> defend against the, in the Rollins abuse case against Paul Pressler. And saying that they were reluctant to engage in discovery because, quote, we believed it would have produced a lot of evidence of the truthfulness of the fundamental allegation of the plaintiff that Pressler had sexually abused him for many years. And so I think it's just maybe confirmation of what people had already known in, mm-hmm. by 2021. Uh, but it was interesting to kind of see it there in writing that <clears throat> this is uh, the, this is the tack that we're taking because we believe that these allegations have merit. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that started a little bit of a, a dust up on social media, online, people saying, um, why is this just now coming to light? Why why was this hidden even from the guidepost report? Why was it not in there? Mm-hmm. And then the SBC attorney, uh, Gene Beeson, responded to a comment from Marshall Blaylock, who is a pastor in South Carolina, but also very involved in uh, helping the, the uh, SBC reckon with sexual abuse. Um, he responded, G, uh, the attorney did, saying that nothing was withheld from Guideposts, that Guideposts literally had everything, every email. And of course, you remember that if you've been following this for a while, that even attorney-client privilege was waived. And so mm-hmm. even though this was an email from an attorney, this would have been, and that was confirmed again the next day, Baptist Press got confirmation from another SBC attorney confirming that all documents were turned over to guidepost and so if this wasn't included in that report then uh guidepost may have had a reason for not including it but a similar email was included in the guidepost report um although to a different recipient and at a different time but sort of similar language in there Mm -hmm. so bp the next day had a story about it and also like i say the the additional commentary from another sbc attorney as well as more uh, uh uh commentary and just thoughts uh, and desire from Marshall Blaylock and just his heart for um, solving this problem uh, yeah. and going going down the road uh, a yeah. little farther. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, just a lot going on there this week as we continue just reckoning with this and dealing yeah. with, with what's happened. Yeah. So that story is there. Um, it's a very complicated matter. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully if you, you would go and read that story, it would help to clarify it. And uh, see some of the pieces come together there um, as it as it developed. Uh, we got a, a story this week, Laura, from uh, Lifeway on baptisms, and um, it's sort of a, a positive turn mm-hmm. in a, along a negative path, That's <laughs> if right. you would. So yeah, so in 2022, Southern Baptist congregations that reported figures for the annual church profile. Uh, recorded one thousand or one hundred and eighty thousand one hundred seventy-seven baptisms. That's a sixteen percent increase over twenty twenty-one. However, um, it's still a part of a negative trend, Laura, that has been uh, really in motion since the early two thousands. That's right. Since um, twenty twenty-one, since coming out of COVID. There's been a 46% increase in baptisms, but of course you have to consider that in 2020, that number went to almost zero because so right. many churches weren't 
meeting. And so, of course, you're going to see a little bit of a rebound there. But if you go all the way back to 2000, there were 414,000 baptisms, actually, you know, more than that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the trend is definitely downward, though the last Mm -hmm. couple of years have seen a little bit of a a growth. The trend is downward. Uh, uh, 43% of Southern Baptist churches in 2022 reported no baptisms. Mm. Um, And you are um, typical. These numbers kind of are to be expected. I think churches in, of course, more highly concentrated areas are going to have higher numbers of baptisms. Urban churches had 86 baptisms average that in 2022, uh, whereas suburbs was 5.5 and rural areas 3.1. And in general, the newer the church, the more baptisms. That's not completely across the board, but in general, uh, churches that have been planted more recently have in general more baptisms than more established churches. So interesting numbers there. Um, I would encourage people to go look at the charts and go dig into those numbers a little bit. Um, encouraging in, in some ways, but also sobering a little bit and and a realization that we have some work to do. Yeah. So so as we prepared for this uh, SBC This Week podcast, uh, the word prayer kept coming up <laughs> and things that you and I were talking about as far as the stories. And and obviously, we've already mentioned that in, in a previous story there with search committee, uh, certainly the the story that deals with sexual abuse that we just talked about, that that's a matter of constant prayer. Mm-hmm. There are some other things that are coming up in just a few moments uh, where, where we think that you'll be, uh, prayer would be very beneficial in those instances. But just to stop here for a second, more than two in five Southern Baptist churches reporting the ACP had no baptisms in um, in 2022, 43% of churches did not report baptisms. Now, granted, those churches could have chosen not to report for whatever reason, and they had a baptism. So so we want to be careful there to mm-hmm. not imply um, necessarily, but just on the data that we have reported to us, 43% of churches in our convention did not report a single baptism in 2022. Um, I think that is something that that we ought to uh, really consider, um, ought to think about, and ought to be praying toward that that God would reverse that trend, and mm-hmm. um, you know, and and for folks in the local association, folks in those churches, state conventions, be praying that that the Lord would turn that around in your community, um, in your church. Yeah, and I, it kind of reminds me of the the prayer stories that we talked about last week. Mm-hmm. There were two really good story uh, prayer stories in BP last week about an association that's kind of getting together, a group of churches getting together to pray, and then a um, a church that has committed to pray and fast for 21 days. And mm-hmm. so I do think you're seeing people getting serious about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So speaking of something else to get serious about this week, the ERLC released their public policy agenda on the federal level. Their their state-level document is coming in, in uh, the weeks ahead, but this particular week, they released their federal public policy agenda. Yeah, it's always interesting to see this document. Um, ERLC President Brent Leatherwood said that the, the team spends substantial number of hours researching and creating this report every year. Uh, Han- Hannah Daniel, who's the policy person there at ERLC, said that the report is grounded in scripture and guided by SBC resolutions. And so they they use, they take their cue from the messengers of mm-hmm. what issues are important, what do you want us to, to focus on and to <clears throat> advocate 
in Washington and uh, and in the state legislatures around the country. And uh, I thought this was interesting. Um, Brent uh, Leatherwood in his comments to BP said that uh, he actually quoted the Baptist faith and message where it says, every Christian should seek to bring industry, government, and society as a whole under the sway of the principles of righteousness, truth, and brotherly love. And so that is sort of their jumping off point for creating this uh, public policy document every year. There are 43 items listed in the agenda mm-hmm. uh, and they're in the, in four different categories. That's right. And each one of them begins with a quote from the Baptist faith and message sort of that applies to that issue. Mm-hmm. And uh, the big sort of catch all the big bucket issues for those 43 items are life, religious liberty, human dignity, and marriage and family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we want to encourage you to go and to, to read that. It is a it's a uh, an important document, and um, it's lots of information there um, for you to be aware of as you interact with your uh, national leaders um, and as Congress moves forward in their work. Uh, this week, Lauren, something a little bit lighter as we yeah. uh, think think about the summer um, and the the annual meeting in Indianapolis that's coming up in June. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we've been working at the executive committee to prepare this and, um, and we're excited this week to roll out, right? Yeah, roll out. First, that's a, oh, yeah, I see roll, what you did there. Out. Oh, there okay. Sorry. Yep. Yeah, um, the, the, the road to Indy <laughs> and it really, you know, I mean, we, we can, we can be very punny this year we since can. It, with Indianapolis and the motor speedway we're, and the road and blah, blah, blah. Revving up, we're revving up, we're getting in gear, all we the, the green flag, you <laughs> yeah. know, that sort of, we moved to the checkered flag in June. I mean, you know, we're, we're ready. We have a list. And so we, we will not uh, spin out as we no. move forward. So. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, all right. So anyway, so the videos are out there at sbcannualmeeting.net. And uh, Jonathan Howe is uh, leading the way in that. Lots of great content that's coming up, uh, helpful information for those participating in the meeting, and then helpful information as well, just like for your families and and for folks who will come and want to take in some high points in Indianapolis. Um, yeah, I so, always look yeah. forward to these videos because there's always good information about where to eat, where to take your kids that's fun. All yeah. Just all kinds of cool information that you would you're not going to get anywhere else. And so, and for those of you that are really faithful listeners of this podcast, it's your chance to hear Jonathan's voice. There so you go. Watch the video. There you go. <laughs> That's right. So, all right. So, speaking of annual meeting business, uh, already we have a presidential candidate announcement. Uh, Clint Presley, who indicated back in November that he would be open to being nominated, was officially nominated. Well. I guess he wasn't officially nominated. No. The, the intent right. to officially nominate. That's right. The nomination happens announced. in the room. Yeah. But That's yeah. right. That's right. So Clint Presley is a senior pastor of Hickory Grove Baptist Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. And he is going to be nominated by Chris Justice, who's the pastor of Lee Park Baptist Church in Monroe, North Carolina. Yeah. So that story is there. You can hear uh, what Pastor Justice has to say about Clint Presley. And uh, we believe there are probably some more nomination announcements coming in the near future. Yeah, All right. Likely. Yep. Yep. Big things going on in the Midwest this week, Laura. Um, the Summit Leadership Conference was happening there and um, just lots of encouraging uh, social media buzz, uh, stories, Hand-packed all kinds of things. Full of cool. Mm-hmm keynote speakers and 
I always get so jealous when I read about conferences and we run stories about conferences and stuff because I'm like, I want to go to these conferences, but I got to work every day. <laughs> I yeah. can't go to a conference. Yeah. But these are so, this was a, of course, this is one that happens every two years. Uh-huh. The Summit Leadership, Con- the Midwest Leadership Conference uh-huh. for churches in and uh, and I think it was nine different uh, convention Baptist right. conventions representing twelve states because some of right. those are regional. And so, uh, almost a thousand church leaders gathered in uh, St. Louis for this meeting, and they got to hear from. Ben Mandrell from Lifeway, Hans Stilbeck at Guidestone, uh, Mark Dance from Guidestone, Trevin Wax from NAM, Vance Pittman from NAM, um, Jared Wilson from Midwestern Seminary, uh, Sandy Wisdom Martin from WMU. So just a pretty stellar roster of speakers at this thing and breakout sessions and I'm sure really great worship. Um, so one of those things that, yeah, one day I'm going to go to that. Yeah. I think about looked, that a lot. Yeah. yeah looked great. Looked great. Um, something else that looked great this week that came through was the convocation stories. We've had a few of them already to mm-hmm. come through in weeks past, but this week we heard from Southwestern and Gateway and Southeastern and, uh, well, we heard from Southeastern last week. Um, we heard from um, uh, Midwestern. Yeah. yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. So uh, focusing on prayer, they focused on uh, confessional statements. Uh, focused on a lifelong passion for ministry. That's what Jeff Orge talked about in his address. And um, so all very, yeah, very which is going to be helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's one of his last addresses as president mm-hmm. of Gateway. So that was an, an interesting topic, I felt like, as he is looking forward to his retirement in the next year or so. Yeah. And yeah. I think the, the Dockery's address at Southwestern was very interesting. That's a long one. That's a long, mm-hmm. a t- longer story than a typical Baptist press story um, because he goes into great detail really mm-hmm. about the historical Baptist confessions and the, the various ones that Baptists have talked about over really hundreds of years and then what they do there at Southwestern and why those things are important. And um, it's, an, it's a helpful read, I yeah. think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a couple of more seminary-related notes that we want to pass along, one of them. Um, so he, here we are back to one of our points of prayer, um, some heavy information uh, for Dr. Jim Shaddix and for his family this week. Um, it's health-related, and um, Laura, definitely something that Southern Baptists should rally around um, them in prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's actually having surgery as we speak, I feel like, or at least very soon, sometime mm-hmm. today, That while we're talking, mm-hmm. um, to remove um, a third brain tumor. They've already removed, I think, two. Mm-hmm. And so, but the doctors are optimistic at the same mm-hmm. time. So heavy, heavy time there. Yeah. So Jim Shattuck, you have uh, some history with him, I think, right? Jim Shaddix? I do. Yeah. Good history. That, that, good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You were, when you were, ta- we were talking about this earlier this week, it yeah. sounded like you, you had Absolutely. some good yeah. feelings about him. Oh, yeah. totally. Yeah. Some preaching classes back in seminary. I'm a New Orleans graduate. So Dr. Shaddix was there in New Orleans. I can remember a, a couple of classes with him and certainly uh, some of his books. Those resources have been fantastic and and things that, that I, along with uh, lots and lots of pastors out there who have, they've gone back to those resources yeah. to fine tune and to uh, be re-inspired and uh, just to, to uh, 
sharpen their saw when it comes to preaching. And Dr. Shaddix has been, he's been such a, a model of that in his own preaching. I mean, I'd love mm-hmm. to hear him preach. And he is a wonderful teacher of preaching. And, um, and he's just a, he's a wonderful encourager, uh, to pastors and to seminarians. And so, uh, so we want to lift up the Shaddix family and, and, um, ask folks to join in and praying through, uh, this cancer journey with them and, um, and be, Mm -hmm. be aware of that. Um, at Midwestern Laura, they are also, uh, celebrating 20 years of their fusion, um, initiative, which is Mm -hmm. a a hands-on training, uh, for seminary. Uh, well, it's a hand, a hands-on training for students who then go out and work alongside missionaries and do Mm -hmm. mission work in the, in the Kansas city area. Yeah, it's actually a partnership with IMB. Midwestern and IMB have had this partnership now 20 years. I was really surprised when I saw the story come in. 20th anniversary. Wow, mm-hmm. I didn't realize it had been going on that long. But the students work all school year um, working, learning the language that they're in the place where they're going, the region that they're going, learning the security protocol for that region of the world. Um, they will form cohorts, uh, teams that they work with, that they will be working with to kind of get to know one another and work through uh, spiritual um, emphasis, academics, of course, the physical requirements of where they're going, how much uh, physical activity they will have to be doing, walking and hiking and things like that. And then they use that training right there, like you say, in Kansas City for a period of time before they actually eventually take it overseas and work hands-on with mm-hmm. missionaries. And uh, it's it's been a pretty impactful program. I was surprised to read this. Just in South Asia right now, um, the IMB has 15 fusion alumni now serving. That's awesome. Uh, So that's pretty, I I don't know how many fusion people have gone to South Asia over the past 20 years, but I would say that's a pretty good percentage, pretty high Mm -hmm. percentage of people who end up uh, going to the mission field from the fusion program. So that's a neat uh, anniversary to celebrate. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Also, Laura, a fun story this week. Um, So this group of brothers banded together, um, ended up being three brothers and a nephew. Um, And they they went on kind of an extraordinary journey and raised a lot of money for work with Afghanis through Send Relief. Yeah. So two of the brothers and get their names all start with T, Troy, Mm -hmm. Trent, Tim and Thomas. Mm-hmm. Uh, two of them, Troy and Trent, had spent time in Afghanistan. And so helping Afghan refugees is very close to their heart. And they saw that the the work that Sind Relief is doing in that area and decided that they that they wanted Sind Relief to be the charity that received the proceeds of their effort. And their effort was sailing across the Atlantic Ocean in a 30-foot boat. Wow. 3,000 miles. Mm. In a thirty-foot boat, it took—I don't even remember how many weeks. I didn't write that down, but it's in the—it's in the BP story. Mm-hmm. But I will say this: there were some things that weren't in the story <laughs> that I had questions about <laughs> because that's a law. That's a pretty short boat. Mm-hmm. Um, thirty feet is not very long. Mm-hmm. There are no rooms on a boat on a True. rowing boat. Yes, and get this—their names were the four brothers. F O A R. Get it. That was mm-hmm. pretty clever, I thought. Yep, so that was yep. the name of their team, Four Brothers. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the brothers actually couldn't go. He had a back injury that prevented him from going. So a nephew took his place. Um, so it ended up being Troy, Trent, Tim, or no, Trent, Tim, Thomas, and Ben. Mm-hmm. So ben was sort of the, I guess, the, the misfit there. Without the stand-in. The, yeah. yeah. But 
I thought, how do you have enough food to uh-huh. last you all those weeks in a 30-foot boat? How do you take care of certain necessities every day? Right. No no rest areas There's out on the no Atlantic. no bathroom on this boat. Yeah. How do you even sleep? I assume that two people have to be awake at all times to keep rowing the boat. Uh-huh. And so that, to me, would be very difficult to just, because you're not going to just drift along. Uh-huh. They put up with major storms, wind, rain, all, you name it. I mean, they're exposed to the elements and they're out there. Yeah. But they did it. And they raised money for Send Relief, which is pretty amazing. And they yeah. actually have a GoFundMe if you want to contribute to the cause. They do. More than $50,000 has been yeah. raised. So pretty That's significant. Pretty cool. Absolutely. I mean, I could think of other ways that I might. I mean, maybe I couldn't raise uh, $50,000 is a lot of money, though. I don't know what I would do to raise $50,000, but I would try to find something other than rowing across the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. But I think it's awesome. It's awesome that they did it. Definitely required a lot of dedication. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> So, all right. So, Laura, here in our Baptist Press History Moment, uh, speaking of dedication, back in the day, many Christmases ago, we, we're not we're not too far from Christmas, but many Christmases ago, there were many young ladies who were very dedicated to yes. receiving a Cabbage Patch doll. Yes. I'm, I'm married to one of those ladies. I was, well, yes. I was among those who, yes. I was among those. I was just the, the prime age in 1980, Christmas mm-hmm. 1983. So, so before we get into the history moment to set the yeah. context for yeah. those who are unaware of what a Cabbage Patch doll is or was, <laughs> go ahead and share a little bit about that. So in the early 1980s, this doll came out, Cabbage Patch Kid was the there name of the There you go. Doll. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they were unlike any other doll. I don't really know why. They had a very soft cloth body and a plastic face mm-hmm. with yarn for hair. Mm-hmm. And they just took America by storm. They just became so popular. And there's literally a Wikipedia page devoted to something called Cabbage Patch Riots. Because Christmas of 1983, there were literal riots at Sears stores, JCPenney stores, Macy's stores, all around the country as people fought to get the last Cabbage Patch doll in the store to, Mm. to buy for their little one for christmas now my family my mom she don't play that she was not going to go fighting at the store for a doll for me that is not going to happen however my grandmother apparently you could also buy just the head and then there was a pattern you could use to make the body to sew it and my grandmother did that for me she somehow obtained a cabbage patch doll head and sewed the body and it looked exactly like all the other Cabbage Patch dolls, except for it didn't have the signature of Xavier Robert Roberts, who was the creator of the dolls, on the bottom. So I have one, but it's not official because it doesn't have the signature on the bottom. But I love it even more because my grandmother made it. But okay, anyway, so, so that's that the background. In the category, that's in yeah. the category of things yeah. I did not know. Yeah, and I'm not sure that I wanted to know. <laughs> but anyway, moving on, <laughs> it connects to our history moment. It does. So I did not know this. And I'm hoping that most of you out there don't know this because it's really cool. I think Xavier Roberts first created the Cabbage Patch doll as an art student at Truett McConnell College in Cleveland, Georgia, which is now Truett McConnell University and is affiliated with the Georgia Baptist Convention. So now we're kind of coming full circle because we (laughs) talked about Thomas Hammond at the beginning at the Georgia Baptist (laughs) Convention. So the Georgia Baptist Convention has a college 
called Truett McConnell College, now Truett McConnell University. And in the late 70s, uh, Xavier Roberts was a student there. He was an Mm -hmm. art student, apparently a really good art student. And he got the idea for the dolls from uh, this craft fair. He visited a booth at a craft fair and saw these dolls that this other lady was making. And he Mm -hmm. took her idea. I think there was an agreement made with her and took her idea. And then before long, he... Uh, had it licensed he licensed the dolls to a major toy company and then by 1983 they sold 2.5 million yeah dolls. the rest is history so, yeah but xavier roberts was a student at truett mcconnell and he first made his first cabbage patch doll in the art class there that's so, right and, and so there's still a museum there there's a little that, yeah yeah that's which i've also been to yeah. I'm not ashamed to say. <laughs> of course. I have been to the museum. Of course. Yeah. Because, well, I actually happened to be in Cleveland, Georgia for another reason. And some friends were all, hey, we were trying to think of some stuff to do. And they were like, hey, let's go there. I'm like, let's do it. That sounds yeah. great. I'll do so, that. It's so very if, interesting. If you're, if you're taking your college student on a visit of Truett McConnell <laughs> College, make sure to spend some time, leave some time in your busy schedule to make it on over to the Cabbage Patch Kid. Yeah. You got to do it. Yep. I mean, I assume it's still open. This was a long time ago that I went. Yeah. I, I, I haven't, I didn't look up to see if it's still around, but it probably mm. is. It probably okay. is. And it's set up like a hospital and you actually can like see the babies being quote born. And when you get a Cabbage Patch doll, they come with a little birth certificate with their name on it and all of that. That was Aren't part they, of the, the charm of it. Weren't they like wrapped in a piece of cabbage or something? Yes. Yeah. There yes. you go. And they have a little... Man, birth certificate and all. I mean, I'm, that, I'm, that was part of the gimmick. Was it was like a real baby being yeah. born and from the Cabbage Patch. Yeah. I'm I'm a little ashamed that that just came out of my mouth. That I actually know that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a little embarrassed. Well, you're should've, married. I kept that to myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Monica told you that at some point. <laughs> I'm sure she did. Yeah. So, <laughs> or maybe we talked about it on the bus in 1983 as we were headed to school. That's true. Um, that's yeah. true. Some yeah. some little fourth grader told you. Yeah. 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 That's right. <laughs> so, all right. Well, thank you so much, Laura. Um, as we say, lots to read about at Baptist Press this past week. And um, again, just want to encourage you to join join along with us as we pray through some uh, challenging times. Uh, not only for the the convention, but for some some folks within the convention, uh, like Dr. Shaddix and his family who are facing yeah. some some real challenges. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just for our churches and mm-hmm. for the executive committee as they meet here pretty soon in February, and they have a lot of big decisions to make. There's a lot of things to be praying about, but mm-hmm. also a lot of things to be encouraged about. Absolutely. Yeah. So so good to know that we have a God who hears our prayers. And he is faithful to uh, to respond to his people because he loves us, mm-hmm. and um, so we're we're so encouraged by that. And so as we as we lift up these concerns, uh, may he be glorified to to work in us and through us. Amen. Well, as always, there's lots more that we didn't even have time to talk about. So check it out at baptistpress.com. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.